0: This is Money and Me Investors. Two-thirds of the world's economy now put China at the top of their trading partner list. So how is China's easing of the lockdown and gradual economic recovery impacting their other prominent trading partners? We're going to find out with Dr. Michael Berman, CEO, co-founder of Cyquasion. Joining me from Sydney, Cyquasion is an AI-driven analytics platform to help traders become more profitable. He's a trader by passion, has a PhD in economics, behavioral, finance, and has spent seven years developing trading talent. Michael, I hear you started trading at 13 with your bar mitzvah money. What about that first trade would lead you to do this professionally?
1: Uh, Michelle, good to be back. Um, Yeah, I've I've had an interest in trading for for many years. And and in fact, my first trade was in a manganese mine, of all things, (laughs) um, as a 13-year-old. And
0: how did that trade do?
1: It did really well, and that's part of the problem um, with many first-timers. You you do well out of pure luck, and you think you're a star because you you think it's all your, your own intelligence and all the rest of it, not realizing you got lucky, and then you tend to get bitten by the bug and you think, oh, I'm going to be a professional trader now. So I think that's a common story with many, many traders. And in fact, winning from your first trade is probably not the best thing it'd probably be better to lo- lose
0: those. <laughs> well, early success, a, a PhD in behavioral economics, and here you are, CEO and co-founder of Psyquation helping our tribe of investors uh, as we all get on our learning journey. So thank you very much for being here. Uh, first up, so amongst developed economies, we understand Australia is the most reliant on China. China accounts for a third mm-hmm. of Australia's total exports. I know that Australia is opening up gradually. It's sort of a three-stage approach. And it's expected that Australia will regain about 60 percent of monthly gross domestic product loss from the COVID lockdown. How has Australia been coping? Where are you so far?
1: Okay. well, today is actually very interesting that we should be speaking about this because a couple of hours ago, um, China just, banned or suspended meat exports from australia so there's been a little bit of a, a fight going on between the governments um our, our prime minister wanted to do some investigation into the origins of the covid 19 uh, virus and obviously that hasn't gone down well and there's been threats that they were going to place tariffs on our barley and and i see today um, those threats became reality with the banning of some meat. I, I, I don't know the full. Well, firstly, the markets, of course, weren't happy with that, and the Australian currency um, sold off quite sharply, down a roughly a percent, just under a percent um, on that news. But um, yeah, I mean, Australia is very dependent on on China. It's been it's been the growth factor that. Has has led Australia to a uh, you know GDP. I think they've got the world record in terms of length without going into a recession. So Australia's economy has enjoyed great fruits from um, China's involvement. And and yeah, we we we've seen we've up until now the our uh, exports haven't really been that badly affected um, like our, our our metals and our mining ores and all that kind of stuff but we've seen obviously we've been we've been hurt badly by tourism um australia is also very dependent on chinese students for our universities and and all those kind of uh, and the housing sector which is a very big part of australia's wealth is is housing so without um, without as much Chinese involvement, it, it's it's put in strain. Um, yeah, so you know you you said it in your introduction there with Chinese economy um, coming back from you well know, it, it it registered its first um, decrease since they've been printing that. So the, the economy has been badly hurt in China. So. I think we're in a, a way to see wait and see how bad this is going to impact on australia, but um yeah you, you we, we you know just to tell you what it's like on the ground mm-hmm. here yeah. the the economy oh well, the lockdown seems it feels like it's it's over to be honest with you um my my son is in year 12 he's gone back to school um there's this gradual release in uh, you you know you can you go outside and you see a lot of activity so i am a little bit fearful for it because we we really got on top of the 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 numbers in terms of the spreading of of the virus and I just hope we're not getting too complacent with our early success and and going to land up having to do this all over again so I think that's that's what we're waiting to see, how things unfold there.
0: Yeah, most of the analysts I'm speaking with as well you know, talk about the possible re-emergence of a second wave given all this reopening and what that might then do to the shape of the, the recovery curve that we're, we're looking for. Uh, so I hear yeah. that the Reserve Bank of Australia in its latest quarterly economic outlook uh, predicted that your economy will contract by about 10% over the first half of mm-hmm. this year and it expects unemployment to soar around 10 next month. And speaking of unemployment, U.S. jobs data for April came in at the worst level since the Great Depression. Unemployment, spiking to 14.7%, 20.5 million people abruptly losing their jobs. And yet we've seen, you know, the stock market recover from the March 23rd lows. So there seems to be, um, you know, sort of a disjuncture here. I wonder if, you know, you have a PhD in behavioral economics. Can behavioral finance explain anything about where the economy is now?
1: Well, yeah, I can't... um it, it can to some degree, but the, I think the, this is a massive question. What you what you just described is quite phenomenal. I mean, we we had a massive sell off and it was very quick, and we, you know, it were, uh, there were almost no comparisons to the the speed of which the markets sold off, and they were obviously oversold, and then we, one was expecting some sort of a bounce, which we've got. Um, the bounce has been pretty damn dramatic. Um, I, I, I certainly expected a bounce, and uh, but I didn't quite expect it to be as strong as it currently is. And w- what I believe we've seen at the moment, it's all about expectation. And the market is anticipating for two... Uh, the, the markets anticipating this V-shaped recovery, basically that we went into hibernation. It happened so quickly. No one is expecting it. It's, it's hibernation. And, you know, two months later, we come in out and it'll all be, it will all be okay. And I, I think the very few people, who, when they, you know, being sensible, think that's going to happen, that we will just bounce back exactly like we were before. And certainly without without a cure for the virus on what grounds do they believe that to be the case so um i actually saw uh, in today's wall street journal that just started saying that almost all the 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 experts are saying the v-shaped recovery they were all expecting is now going to be the the nike swoosh so it's going to be more protracted in fact And the consensus is now that we won't get back to the levels we were at earlier this year until 2022. So more than a year from now, it'll take, you know, eight, roughly 18 months to at least get um, back to where we were. Uh, And I, I think that's somewhat optimistic because, you know, if there is a second wave, no one, no one's factoring a second wave into their numbers, I can assure you. So if we do have a second wave, um, the, the things are going to be a, a, a lot worse. So, you know, coming back to your question on, on like, behavioral finance and, and um, psychology of the market, yes, pe- people are somewhat programmed to be uh, optimistic and, and and see things that they want to see. And and that's really what it is. It's like a projection onto the way the world you, you wish it to be versus the reality. And we do know that the markets trade uh, based on expectations. So you can only do it for so long. If, if, you know, in many cases, what what you dream becomes your becomes the reality. So you, you can, but this is going to be a hard reality to create. Uh, you know, it means people are going to have to go out and be carefree and spend. And, and I just can't see the sporting events happening like, they, you know, these big, where 50,000, 100,000 people are at a sporting event where there's a concert. These are, you know, this is the lifeblood of fueling an economy mm. that, that and economic growth um you you you, we don't foresee people going to restaurants and you know being packed with it being packed to the rafters and all that kind of stuff so i I find it hard to believe that we're going to go back to normal very quickly Uh, we've got the threat of the we've got the threat of the virus and in fact we we opening up economies um where the virus hasn't really i mean it's 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 peaked maybe a couple of weeks ago in, in the US and, and U, UK and so forth but but there's still very much a lot of virus in the air so you know, yeah. If people get back to to normal too quickly, we're just going to land up doing this all over again. Which is
0: why I wanted to ask you that question about the behavioral side of things. So here in Singapore, May the 12th is the first day that many of us can get a haircut after sort of a stay at home, you know, protracted um, mm-hmm. period of time. So it feels like things are going back to normal. And yeah, we know that, you know, Warren Buffett just sold all his stakes in airlines because he says he doesn't know yeah. what the future of airlines is going to be. The most prolific long term value investor, has pretty much said he doesn't know if if something that has been part of our normal air, air travel is going to come back. So, you know, how do you think consumer behaviors post-COVID are, are going to change? We're, we're looking at a whole new way that our economies are going to have to be forced to function, right?
1: Absolutely. Travel... Travel is not going to be like it used. To, well, we we don't know what it's going to look like, but it's certainly not going to look like it was in the past. And and travel was a major contributor to the global economy with with holiday. People seem to do. Uh, a lot of travel in, in days gone by. So that's going to reshape things. And you obviously got, you know, small businesses that feed off uh, supply, you know, doing things for for these travelers, these tourists, which is not going to happen. The other interesting thing is people working from home mm. because um I'm noticing that many, many of the, the REITs, the real estate investment trusts, are really doing it tough. So while the markets have bounced in, in, in you know, the tech and, and some of the other um, sectors, there, there really has been very little bounce in, in the property market, the commercial property market. People are worried about, you know, w- will people have offices as... They've had them in the past. Um, you know, of course, there will always be a need for offices and for shopping centres. But you know, mm. I think offices will be um, under threat because they're, they're people, business owners, will realise that they could cut back on some space. That you don't have to have people in the office all day every day. You know, maybe it's three days a week. You come in for two. That kind of stuff. So th- there'll be an interesting um, story there retail eventually i think people like to go out and and experience you know i don't think everyone wants to shop from home but you want that you want that buzz of activity around you but it's obviously under the current environment it's it's not going to happen in a in a hurry so Mm -hmm. people be very skeptical and and every time there's an outbreak you'll cut back and And I know there was a survey in the U.S., 70% of people said that they don't plan to go to shopping centers unless absolutely necessary. So um, where people used to hang out at the, the shopping centers, I don't think that's going to be part of your plan going forward.
0: Amidst all these worries... Is the US dollar still the king of safe haven trade? I understand the Australian dollar has been trading very high, beta to risk, mm. basically tracking the US equity benchmarks overnight. Do you think that the US dollar remains um, the safe haven currency? Is it still the king of the safe haven trade?
1: I, I, I do. I, I really do. And um, despite, I mean, this is where it gets so. Complex because despite all this huge amount of money printing that's taking place in the U.S., they still remain the world reserve currency. So most of the debt in the world is denominated in in dollars. So there's a you know inherent demand. Um, it'll be interesting to see um, what happens if if there could be another um, reserve currency. But but yeah, I think the U.S. dollar is still still strong for now.
0: All right. Speaking of money, we know China's central bank is trialing a scheme to replace paper money with a digitized yeah. version of the renminbi. Do you think this is significant? Is this what the future of money could look like?
1: Yeah, I, I like this idea. And it, to me, just on a practical level, it's very it's very sensible. Like who, today, we we you know, I, I actually don't carry a wallet. I use my um, my phone for my transactions and do we really need to be doing it via a visa or mastercard when we could just be doing it with the currency directly from from our wallet our digital wallet So um, i li- i like the idea i think it's i think it's the right way forward it, it worries me a little i mean it worries me a little bit for it makes it so much easier to um, you know to do this kind of printing of money because, you know, increasing the money supply because it literally is just digital. It is for all the, you know, if I had to speak about the U.S. dollar and all that, the money in circulation is only a tiny, tiny fraction of the amount of money in supply anyway. But, yeah, I just wonder within the Chinese framework, is it, I guess, they could track all... They can track the movement of the money. So, with 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 China being such a command controlled economy, will people like this? But that the government can watch what exactly what's going on with with their their currency. I think it will be a great way to stamp out um, tax evasion because governments will know exactly what's going on with your money. So, it'll be interesting. I think it's a good thing. Uh, 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 on balance, I'd say it's a good thing.
0: So it's a digitization of the yen. Really interesting because, as you say, it's going to help uh, PBOC maintain a grasp of the country's money supply. And then you can decide how you yeah. want to control or regulate uh a debt market, effectively. Speaking of, of money, we, this is May, and this is the month when Bitcoin is halving. I wonder if you have a, a view of what this really means, because you know YouTube's going crazy with what is Bitcoin halving really mean for investors. Are, are, are we supposed to be bullish about Bitcoin because this is happening?
1: Yeah, I, I think according to the textbook, we should be bullish because the. So, firstly, just to let the listeners know this isn't the first time that um, Bitcoin is halving. It halved in 2012. It was the, the way the way Bitcoin works, and I'm I'm not a um, an expert, but I know a little bit about it. There's you know, the, in total, there'll be 21 million Bitcoins that will be mined over its lifetime. So there'll never ever be any any more than 21 million Bitcoins created There's currently 18.3 million in circulation. And basically to, to create, to create a Bitcoin, it requires miners. These are the people that are basically keeping the backbone, this blockchain functioning where all the transactions are being processed. So to incentivize people to create and maintain the platform, um, they pay these miners in Bitcoin. So, basically, it, this is it's, it happened in 2012 at halved to 25, and in 2016 it's down to 12.5 Bitcoins for um, and and now it's it's going to be reduced down to 6.25 Bitcoins now. Basically, the, because you're getting less money for mining for, for all your mining activity, you're getting paid less. You will produce less. There's less incentive to do it. So mm. it's it's kind of a way to slow down the production of of Bitcoin, which means supplies is, is being constrained, and you would think that price would go up. Mm. And the the big thing. Is because there's been a reduction in half now of, of the reward, people only really mine, continue to mine if they see that the price of Bitcoin continues to go up. Now it happened in the previous in the previous times that it halved, Bitcoin went up and and people were incentivized. Now I'm not so convinced Bitcoin is is going to continue that crazy run. If it doesn't then it on asks a whole bunch of questions, how are you going to incentivize miners to keep mining hmm. if if the if the price of bitcoin doesn't keep rising, I know that there are some plans to you know that you can incentivize there there's certain controls within the bitcoin system. it makes it a little bit easier the the the, the comp- the, the problem that the miners have to solve becomes easier. There's a whole bunch of like controls within the system to try and compensate for a, a lower price. But um, it's, it still remains to be seen. I, I, I don't really have a, a very strong view on Bitcoin on paper, or not on paper conceptually I think it's a brilliant idea um, but but you know it's got a finite amount of coins you can con- ever have in supply which is very different to the central banks we who continue to produce more and more of the currencies that they control so uh, but uh, but uh, it's I, I actually don't really know i I'm in two minds i want to say that bitcoin's going to go up but mm. something inside of me is telling me that that the best days may be behind us. Wow.
0: Bitcoin currently at trading at 12,225 Singapore dollars for one Bitcoin. It is the most anticipated, um, event for the cryptocurrency industry. So I had to ask about that. Um, do you have cryptocurrency in your portfolio, Michael? What is on your stocks to watch list?
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I don't own any, and I must tell you, I've done. I traded Bitcoin twice, mm. both times really successfully. So I was, I bought my first Bitcoin at about, um, about a hundred. Uh, I think it was close to two hundred dollars, just under two hundred dollars. I sold it at a thousand dollars. I, I said, I did the trade of my my career. I thought, I thought, wow, that was amazing. What time frame uh, was that? Uh,
0: two hundred to a
1: thousand. It. It was well. I'm thinking back, maybe six years ago. I can't, I can't remember exactly. It was is A it, long time ago, uh,
0: isn't? You bought it at two hundred and you sold it for a thousand within like weeks,
1: days, hours. No, 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 no. no. It was a, It was about five <laughs> years? months. Five ah, months. Okay. But, but yeah, but, but then I also bought it. I think it was about four and a half thousand again, and and I, I wrote it up to ten thousand, and but, but I don't own any now. In fact. I don't own any. I don't own the market at all. I'm I'm 100% in cash. So I, you know, I, I would hate to give anyone advice about Got about getting it. into the markets right now. I think we, we we were expensive before Coronavirus. We we are a lot more expensive now.
0: Why? Why? Despite all that success, did you choose not to get into Bitcoin?
1: I was always nervous that I never slept well. I thought it could be this ban, you know, the governments could shut it down. I, there was always a worry. It was one of those, hmm. sort of like gold, where you can buy gold and, well, I guess once upon a time, they banned gold during the Great Depression as well. So um, you, weren't, you weren't able to own gold. So... Well, can you ever really be comfortable? <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. So, on that note, what is on your stocks to watch list? What are you currently comfortable with?
1: Now, I, I'm. I actually want to buy the indexes, but I need the markets to to correct a bit. I, I need to see the markets let off a bit of steam, and I, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm a little bit nervous to make a sectoral bet or. A country bet. I basically think the markets are a little bit overvalued, and you know I I would just bet on the index. I'm not giving you a a hot tip at the moment. I I mean, I am, believe it or not, I am starting to think that real estate investment trusts look interesting. So, I mean, despite everything I said earlier in the call, but they have properly been been smashed. So they they have been they, they. or anticipating the worst. So, I, you know, you've, you've actually extracted something from me. I'd be, I'd be long property versus the rest of the market.
0: Well, thank you very much for sharing. Dr. Michael Berman, the CEO and co-founder of Cyquasion, with me in Money and Me.
1: Before acting on the information on
0: MoneyFM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.